Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype, September 29th, 2018. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model rail riding. So, as these kids today would say, it's been a minute, but electricity is back in the Barbelay residence. I've been to the East Coast not once but twice, met a wide variety of folk, but I wanted to start with Dennis Drury. Dennis? What has been going on with your model rail riding hobby? Well, I have uh, completed the lower level staging yard and the helix to connect the lower level staging and the second level, which represents Klamath Falls, is complete. I'm furiously working on getting the second level at least where I can run trains because in November, the Reno area open house weekend takes place where there will be 10 to 12, 15 layouts open for tours, and I plan to be open for that. So I'm trying to get it to where it's presentable and functional. Wonderful, wonderful. So the area that you're modelling is familiar to many, at least on the West Coast. In terms of the things that you're just tidying up and getting ready, anything in particular you wanted to talk about? Well, no, I'm just furiously working on that. Um, I've also since the last time we spoke, created a Facebook page for my railroad. Wonderful. And and if anyone's interested, just go to Facebook and look for Southern Pacific Klamath Falls Subdivision in HO Scale, and they should find it. Very good. Very good. Is this the first time that your layout has been on an open house tour, or have you displayed your layout previously? I have display, I displayed it last year. The only thing I was able to show was the staging yard, and I could run trains basically from one reverse loop through the staging yard to the other. And as I go, I will always work towards November to keep running functionality mm. for this open house weekend. Interesting. Interesting. So in terms of folks that might be interested in operating on your layout, is that the next step? Do you have an operating crew? What's your thinking associated with getting your layout for operations? Well, I have people that have already said they want to be part of my operating crew. I expect I won't hold a formal op session until probably a year from now, just to be able to get to the point where it will function as an operating layout. Interesting. Interesting. And when you do have a crew there, how many are you anticipating? I'm anticipating the railroad will support anywhere from six to eight operators. Wonderful. And, and that includes one dispatcher, two people to run the main yard, and then three to four road crews. Very cool. Very cool. So in terms of industries, in terms of interesting operational features, anything of note? Well, I'm duplicating the industries that were on that section of railroad at the time I'm modeling. I have track charts. I have a lot of information that I've gathered over the years. I'm replicating as best I can all of the industries that were active at that time. And on the 95-mile section of railroad I'm modeling, I will have every industry that existed. For folks listening in who may not be familiar with this railroad, what kind of industries are going to be on it? A lot of it's timber, plywood. Um, there's some agricultural industries. There's a uh, Klamath Falls had a large asphalt distributor mm. that um, received several tank cars of asphalt products and frozen food. There were a lot of uh, uh, sweet potatoes that came out of the Klamath Basin mm. that went to sugar mills in the in the California Central Valley, and that's that's pretty much it. Timber and agriculture, those are the two main main industries. Interesting. Was there a passenger service as well? 
Amtrak Co-Starlight. I have a full-length Co-Starlight <laughs> for the time period that I'm modeling. Very nice. Very nice. Well, it sounds like you have all the boxes ticked, so I'm looking forward to hearing what happens and the feedback that you get from this open house and also your movement towards operation, onwards and upwards. Thanks, Tom. And again, if anyone wants to see my progress, uh, they can go to my Facebook page. Wonderful. So final opportunity to plug the Facebook page for folks listening in. What is that page, Southern Dennis? Southern Pacific Klamath Falls Subdivision in HO scale. Wonderful. Thank you very much for calling in and please stay on the call. If something comes up, you know what to do. Thank you, Tom. I'll stay on. I'd like to welcome back on Clark Cooning. Clark, I had a very interesting experience. I was at the Northeast oh. Regional. We have, uh, I think we have Jim Walsh on. And I was at the Model Rail Radio dinner, which, as most of these Model Rail Radio dinners go down, was at the local sticky barbecue place, to distinguish right. it from the other kinds of barbecue. And I do something which my wife attributes, my wife was there as well, but I do something which my wife attributes to Australians, I just think it's the way that I do things, where I had a kind of musical chairs thing, because there were probably close to 20 people there, maybe 18 to 20 people, and I wanted to talk to every single one of them, or at least as many as possible, those that were willing to talk to me at least. So I had moved around. By the end of the evening, I was sitting next to a woman who clearly was very passionate about the hobby, who I had not met previously, and she passed me her card. And her name was Christina. And she is the NMRA publicity coordinator. That's correct. I was thoroughly impressed with regards to the conversation that I had with her and subsequent meetings through the Northeast Regional. And I think it was fascinating to me because I'm not sure if Jim will allow me to narrate this, but let me just say, when I arrived at the Northeast Regional, I didn't have the best possible experience as a clinician uh, associated with getting there. I think the term the suspect eye was used with regards to this particular Australian coming to this uh, particular event. The folks on the front door wanted my name, rank and serial number and then went through various databases trying to establish that I was who I said I was, which was an interesting experience. Made up for by the talk and the wide variety of folk that were there in the various clinics. But I thought Christina has a unique experience associated with the NMRA. And I think it's going to be a fascinating opportunity to see what actually occurs under her, I would want to say it's stewardship, for want of a better term. Now, you are in the luxurious position of being an elder statesman of the NMRA now no longer burdened by previous woes, you are observing this from a well-earned retirement. I add to the opportunity at the O-Scale National to have a chat with Jim Gore as well, who's picking up your modelling with the Master's duties. Now you are in this wonderful position with regards to the uh, National Model Rail Association. What are your reflective thoughts? Well, it, you know, I've, I've always uh, been a very, very strong supporter of the NMRA, and I, and I continue to be. It's, um, it's an organization that a lot of people take shots at, and that's fine. But yeah, if you get involved, if you, if, as you, you know, get really involved and participate, you find out that things are happening, things are moving along very well. Um, additions like Christina have been made. It's sometimes it's at glacial speed, <laughs> but, 
but um, we are moving forward. And Certainly. I think uh, some of the new trustees that are coming on the board are going to start pushing things a little bit faster. And, uh, you know, people get involved, find out, oh, surprisingly, um, there's a lot more to it than what they thought. I mean, Mike Slater is now on the board with in his division area and stuff and he found out some stuff and we had a chat the other day and he says i never knew about you know the expenses of putting on a big train show and i mm. said yeah oh. and people people just don't understand the 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 problems and, and issues that happen so anyway that's that's one perspective uh i i really think that as new people come on board and and some of the older older members leave we're gonna you're gonna see a lot faster movement to to more of the internet and christina is is one of those that's pushing for that and 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 is active in it and and that's a big uh that's a big plus for the nmra i think uh just going to train shows uh going to uh regional events and stuff um and getting involved i think if you get involved whether it be just take taking tickets or going out to uh, the regional events or a local convention, you're really going to find um, the world of model railroading really opens up. Certainly, certainly. And Kathy Millat, now, television in the UK. Oh, yes. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Amazing Doing stuff. Doing all kinds of things. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and that's the, that's the, how can I say it? Uh, I think that's kind of, the the world is opening up to us, and I think um, the more we participate and and go out and you know talk about uh, the NMRA and stuff, the better it'll be. So I'm really I really think the future is bright, and uh, and good luck to them. <laughs> I'm quite happy to be retired, even though today was a frustrating day in model railroading. But uh, uh, yeah, I've I'm. Uh, Kind of looking forward not to have to go to some of this stuff, oh, but wanting, but you know, going when I wanted to go. Unfortunately, I I was supposed to be in uh, San Diego uh, about two weeks ago, but I was unable to go because I've been uh, kind of hobbled again with my knees. So oh, I've no. been on crutches. I've been on crutches for the last three weeks, and uh, kind of it's been a been a bugger. But anyway. So in terms of the hobby, yep. what's new in model railroading for Clark Kearney? Well, it's been the summer. You know, summer up here where we live, uh, uh, I really try and get away from model railroading. Other than the Kansas City convention <laughs> was was absolutely terrific. We had a lot of fun with the model with the Masters. Uh, uh, pretty well sold out for all, all the clinics. And uh, we really enjoyed uh, putting them on. And the Kansas City is a fantastic city for for watching oh, yeah. uh, railroading. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's just uh, nonstop. And, uh, and of course, the barbecue in Kansas City is oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> They'll feed you well as well. Yes. Yes. But, uh, no, we, so that's been sort of my, was my summer thing. And otherwise, I was uh, out in the boat fishing. So uh, now, now it's getting a little cooler. The evenings are getting yes. a little darker, this kind of stuff. Yes. In terms and, of... In terms of your two main project areas, in terms of the the palatial space that you have to fill with layouts in your house, but also the local club, what's the plan for the uh, winter months with regards to those two things? 
Well, that's exactly uh, what it's going to be. Um, my railroad itself, uh, uh, all the basic bench work is, is in and all the spline is pretty well complete. So, uh, now I got to do a bunch of work for electronics and, mm. uh, I have, um, been, <laughs> uh, it's a blessing and a, uh, horrific, uh, <laughs> problem. Uh, we have a new fellow that joined our, our club. And he is a fantastic electronics guy, mm. and he's got me into Arduinos, and oh, I must nice. have, <laughs> I must have now about thirty sensors on the main line in the hidden area uh-huh. to tell me where trains are and for signaling. So that's going to be my kind of next month's project uh, to get all that finished, so that I can basically put the top on the the hidden staging area and uh it'll all be working so that's that's my project there and then at uh, the club we we outgrew the NC power cab which what which is what we started with and then we went to a 5 amp system uh the pro cab and we just sort of realized that the way we were using our uh our system with um, circuit breakers wasn't really the way to do it, so we purchased uh, some of Tony train Tony's trains uh, new circuit breakers, and they're all installed. But now we've we've come to a little hiccup, which is we were using frog juicers mm. as a uh, for the two reverse loops. Well, what would happen? The frog juicer is a little slow you wouldn't notice it when it changes polarity but they're just a little slow in comparison to the uh to the uh, tony's train circuit breaker so Mm. it would trip and then the circuit or the reverse loop would go hey what's going on and it was just sort of a uh, back and forth fight so i'm in the process of programming the circuit breakers for a longer delay, which according to things that I've read will cure this problem. Interesting. Interesting. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been kind of a little bit of a learning curve. Um, now I guess the other solution is using the PSX auto reversers because they are basically at the same speed the, the, uh, circuit breakers are, are set at. But uh, since we have the fruit frog juicers in place, I think I'm just going to try the the fact that I can basically change the CV value and and extend the time for the circuit breaker to to uh, believe it's not a false uh, or a, so it's not a false uh, reading because mm. it's not technically a short; it's just a a glitch. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, um, so anyway, that was an interesting find today, actually. And uh, so we'll, I'll sort that out. Maybe even tomorrow morning I'll go in for a little bit and fool with that. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the to the winter months, uh, which usually starts in November here. And look forward to, to working on the layout. I'm hoping by the time oh, late November comes, I will have the complete mainline done and, and operating. So uh, that'll be my... That's my big goal. One of the really nice experiences that I had in New Jersey was spending a day with Ron Kleiss. I had the opportunity to see a couple of layouts with him, but also tour his garden, 
you know, meet his family, his wife, the usual things that one does apparently with Ron Kleiss. One of the things that he noted was that he's going to be sending you a structure kit in the near future. Yes, yes we were uh, yipping and yakking, and uh, he he's developing a, a line of kits, and he asked me if I would uh, do a little review on it and see what I thought, and I said I'd be happy to. And, um, you know, Ron, the more time you spend with Ron, the more amazed I am at how um, – what a great guy he is personally, but mm. also his also his modeling skills and and his uh, development skills. He kind of reminds me of sort of a Tim Weris to some degree. And uh, Tony Ryan, you know, on the on the West Coast is kind of like in the same boat. And again, two really nice guys and uh, just terrific guys to to uh, to talk with and to know through Model Rail Radio. Most certainly, most certainly. Yes, it's interesting actually comparing Ron Kleiss to uh, to Tim Weris. They have elements of the philosopher. Both of them have elements of the philosopher. Maybe different yeah. philosophers, but certainly, yeah. No, it was wonderful to see to see Ron's setup. I mean, he's got a laser. He's got his layout close by. The only problem I was having was my <laughs> his his layout is in a bunker. Like, have you been to Ron's place? No, I haven't. Ah, his, his layout is in, you know, cement and clearly steel above and things like that. And I was trying to get Wi-Fi because work was having various issues as they tend to have. I think it must have been a Friday from memory. In any case, so I was trying to get Wi-Fi and work out what was going on. And uh, unfortunately, I, I feel like I neglected spending enough time in Ron's environment. Aside to say, it was just really amazing to spend a day with Ron just shooting a breeze and getting a sense of his space and... His layout is a work in progress, but you can see that the, you know, the direction is moving the right direction. And I had an experience. I'm, go- I'm going to tell you a little experience that I had, Clark Cooney. At the O-Scale National, I came to the realization that there are some layouts that are just extreme. Extreme in terms of the volume of track, extreme in terms of the kind of um, strange limbo, what's it called? Limbo stick, whatever. Anyway. You need to kind of double back on yourself and, you know, curl up into a ball and then expand and then contract in order to get into certain areas. Ron's layout is not like that at all. It's actually quite comfortable. He could probably have at least six or seven people operating quite comfortably in it. And I think the consideration of space for the operators is something almost a lost art in this hobby. I want to bring it back. I want to talk more about it on Model Rail Radio. Clark Cooning, it's always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you very much for calling in. It's been far too long since we've had the chance to chat. Um, aside from missing San Diego, do you have any anticipation of being in my part of the world anytime soon? Not offhand. My next uh, event will be uh, Train Fest Ooh. In, in November because uh, that's an easy drive from here. It's about six and a half hour, seven hour drive. Mm-hmm. And uh, we go up through uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, then across the Upper Peninsula and down through Green Bay and into Milwaukee. So I'm always looking forward to see Mr. Rent and Mr. Slater and uh, and a lot of others that uh, come out to the show. So We'll be there, and then um, hopefully Springfield. Uh, uh, that's a little farther drive, but uh, we'll probably be in Springfield, so um, that's always fun. But uh, the West Coast right now, mm, no plans. However, mm. I will. If you'll be my first sushi stop, if we come out that way, always. Yes. No now, question. one of the things. Now, one of the things that uh, um, you just mentioned about aisle space. 
If you want to check aisle spaces, you get me and Mike Slater at the same time. We can check your aisle spaces. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Although, actually, I've seen photos of Mike recently. He seems to be, he seems to be, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the Mike Slater jokes are not quite as, uh, on the level as they should be here, Clark. So. Oh, no. Well, he's, it's, it's me that's, uh, wider. Alas. Yes. I, I feel a little bit the, the benefits of having so many photographers in the audience when you give a uh, clinic. Yes. I, I need to have a no photos policy or at least a no posting on Facebook instantaneous policy. Anyway, <laughs> Clark, it's always a pleasure catching up. And yes, the sushi is waiting for you. All right. Yes. Well, you know, up here when you say sushi, they go, yeah, we got bait. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to you soon, Clark. Take care. All right, guys. Thank you. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who has just taken on more duties with his local or regional NMRA, Mike Slater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how uh, how you're thrust into the spotlight with regards to the uh, NMRA. Well, my local division uh, had a few openings and positions, and one of the positions that they were looking for was the contest room uh, chairperson. Oh, interesting. Of course, uh, I volunteered and... Then I discovered that it also came with a seat at the board of directors of the division. But so uh, in terms, I mean, this is a very important role with regards to the NMRA. I mean, particularly, you know, we have MMRs on occasionally. We've got, we've just had Clark on. I mean, this is an important step associated with folks that want to have their models charged. What kind of criteria, what kind of credentials do you come to this position with Mike Slater? Okay, well, the contest room is probably a little bit different than what you're thinking as far as judging a model for your MMR certificate. The At our local meets and that we have a, a contest room where it's a popular choice oh, okay. uh, vote. So basically I'm sitting in the room uh, with a, a machete and a machine gun. No, I'm just joking <laughs> about that. <laughs> uh, but to keep an eye on the models and make sure nobody uh, damages them or, or harms them. And then basically... Uh, I have to tally up all the popular choice uh, votes and uh, write up the certificates. And then within our division, if you're an NMRA member, uh, you get uh, two $10 gift certificates of your choice for local hobby shops. If you're not an NMRA member, you only get a $10 gift certificate. Mm. So the membership has its privileges. And I figured since I've won so many first place certificates, especially last year, uh, the month of January, I walked out with $120 worth of gift certificates. I might as well give back a little bit to my local. So it's actually cheaper for them just to get you to do it officially rather than just giving you the gift certificates by the sound yeah. of things. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the way of looking at it. <laughs> yes, interesting, interesting. So in terms of model railroading hobby, obviously TrainFest is coming up. This is a you know big event for you annually. What are you taking yep. to TrainFest this year? Um, again, I'll be participating with my uh, trolley group with uh, Andy Breaker and Will O'Malley. And mm-hmm. basically I am working on a few new modules, but those will not be ready for TrainFest. But uh, it's this particular uh, time around will be uh, testing out some of my new models that I've uh, – Got working in that, and uh, our our main goal for our group, the Northwest Traction Group, is going out to the East Penn Trolley Meet 
uh, that's uh, next spring. And that'll be out in uh, just, uh, I believe it's north of uh, Pittsburgh and uh, uh, Allen, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Interesting. And in terms of the trolling meets, I mean, obviously people are coming from the region. What kind of things are you expecting to see there? You've been there before, though, haven't you? I've never been to uh, the to any of the trolling meets as oh, far okay. as... Interesting. Uh, this will be the fir- first time heading out. It's basically just kind of a, a smorgasbord of uh, different trolley modelers in it. Uh, primarily, a lot of times what you'd see out at the East Penn trolling meet is a lot of the East Coast traction. So, as far as my understanding, uh, they're actually looking forward to having uh, a layout from the Midwest area come out because it's mm. going to be a little different uh, uh, modeling scenes on the trolley modules and and that. And uh, plus, it also give me a chance to talk to some of the other trolley modelers. I talked uh, back and forth on Facebook, and I'll actually be able to uh, talk to them face to face. And there was both industry and passenger trolleys in. I mean, throughout Pennsylvania, but in Pittsburgh specifically, right, wasn't it? Uh, I believe so, yes. A couple different uh, lines and stuff like that. Interesting. Very interesting. So when you travel with a trolley layout, is it much the same as a regular layout, or are there various things that you need to keep in mind when you're traveling with one? Well, all of our modules, uh, because we we keep the overhead wire on attached to the modules, each module is put in its own little wooden shipping mm-hmm. container type type deal. And, of course, it's the same way that we would take the modules to train fest. You know, they're going to be packaged the same way. For us, it's going to be trying to figure out logistics of transportation. You know, are we going to rent a van? Are we going to uh, rent a trailer and just use my uh, trailblazer to pull the trailer? So that's mm-hmm. some of the logistics right now that we're we're trying to figure out and hash out and work out the details. You've done this previously. You've, you've traveled at least within state with your trolley modules. Yes, uh, I've taken them to, uh, to train fest last year in that, uh, with, with, when I take my own personal modules, the modules have their own position that they go inside the vehicle. But, uh, with probably having, if we're going to, if I'm going to be driving my vehicle out there, with uh, Andy and another uh, gentleman in our group, uh, there really won't be any room to put the trolley modules within the Trailblazer, so that's where we'll probably end up renting a U-Haul trailer hmm. uh, and put the modules in, in the U-Haul trailer and our luggage in that in, in the uh, Trailblazer. Interesting, interesting. Well, this sounds like it's going to be quite an adventure, Mike. And aside from traction, um, are you doing anything else in the hobby? Uh Doing you know little odds and ends with uh, diesel mo- different diesel modeling projects. Uh, uh, working on a uh, HO scale. It's I, I would guess you kind of call it a little industrial type critter, but a more modern one. Hmm. Uh, it's all 3D printed uh, body shell from Shapeways, and I had to figure out how to do a drive because the prototype they used a single uh, truck off of an SD40-2. Interesting. So I ended up figuring out how to found a can motor that was small enough to mount it onto a Cato SD40-2 truck. And I had to, of course, design my own uh, chassis to mount the truck to the, to mount inside the, uh, the 3D printed body shell that somebody else designed. So there was a, a little bit of figuring out there. And uh, that project is just about done. I have to actually send off the 3D model to Shapeways and actually have it 3d printed better than what uh 
with the Dremel 3D printer we have at work, and that uh, that has some limitations on what I can do and what I can't do compared to what I can have done at Shapeways. It's amazing the quality that Shapeways has now. I've ordered a few things from them recently myself, and, uh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, some of the cast stuff is just unbelievable as well. So it's yeah. not just plastic. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I was looking at prices. My, uh, <clears throat> how should one say this? My addiction is a site called Hero Forge, where you basically get to create your own little miniatures. Uh, and you can add a wide variety of things. I'm running a game at work that requires mm, modern day miniatures, let's just say. And, okay. um, you get the files. You buy the files from Hero Forge for the various characters. Uh, and then it's a Shapeways company. You send them to Shapeways and you can have them printed in, you know, ultra detail or obviously if they're going to be game pieces, you want them um, to be slightly more hardy, particularly if they have guns and this kind of stuff. But yeah. uh, just on a whim, I had a couple of them cast in bronze and they're just absolutely amazing. I mean, yeah. the level of detail is just astonishing. For the stuff that you're doing, do you need metallic castings occasionally? There was that one uh, project that I did a couple years back where uh, I was building an old uh, plastic steam locomotive mm-hmm. kit that was done in the 1950s, and I actually had the uh, did the drivers on 3D CAD and then had it uh, had Shapeways do it in uh, brass, mm. and uh, that was just so I could solder the the driver spokes onto a brass. Uh, uh, wheel tread that I had that was the right size and diameter. Just, of course, the, the spokes were incorrect for the particular project I was working with. So I had basically Shapeways 3D print the brass, uh, uh, spokes of the driver and then I just soldered them to the of the, the wheel flange mm. or the tight. Mm. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. I wanted to give a plug for Terry Terrence. I was at his, uh, well, I was at the Oscar National, but I was at his, 3D printing talk specifically, and he made a really strong case for the fact that there are now, for O-scale in particular, but increasingly for uh, smaller scales, there are entry-level 3D printers in the $150 range uh, that can do a wide variety of things, and I wasn't actually aware of the quality in that price range that's currently being offered. He has a few techniques that he uses, uh, polyfillers and things like that, in order to round out some of the uh, 3D printing lines for a better term. It's amazing, the stuff. When I was in St. Louis at the RPM meet uh, this past uh, summer, I got to uh, go to Jack Burgess's uh, 3D printing Mm. clinic. And, uh, of course, he's uh, doing the Yosemite Valley in California. Certainly. And he's actually 3D having Shapeways 3D print uh, very complex and really intricately detailed uh, freight cars mm. where he's, he's including all the brake rigging and all that. Uh, and the, the cars are just fantastic. And he's using Google SketchUp uh, to do all his modeling. And I had a good chat with uh, with him afterwards uh, within the RPM room and uh, told him that he had a very great, uh, very good clinic in it on on all that. Amazing times, really amazing times. The quality of modeling is just going to get better exponentially with this kind of technology. Um, so in terms of you personally, you say you have a 3D printer at work. What would get you to buy a 3D printer and use it within your home? Well, there, there's the one 3D printer that's, uh, I believe it's about a six, $700 printer 
that uh, is one of those, uh, I can't think of the technical term, but I call them the, the resin, uh, the GooVat uh, mm-hmm. type 3D printer. And mm-hmm. that one's looking very promising. But the biggest hiccup is I don't personally feel I'm doing enough 3D printing modeling to deem a, a home printer feasible for mm-hmm. the the uh, little bit that I'm doing. Uh, I would say Shapeways is probably my better bet. And then also depending on the type of materials I'm printing, if I'm doing my motor mount brackets uh, to mount Stanton drives and my trolley drives, I'm using the powdered uh, nylon mm. uh, material that they have. And to have a home 3D printer of that uh, is not really recommended because it's a, a very messy process. Mm. And um, so, and then the, the higher detail, like your, your FUD or your, extreme fud or whatever they're calling it now yes. they changed all their names yes. but uh you know that would be that that resin guvat uh uh type 3d printer i think somebody just said uh stereolithography which um is along the same lines but uh again you're if you're not using that uh resin material that you start getting dust particles in it and that has to be dumped out and thrown away and so it's uh the amount that i'm, I'm doing personally now I'd say my best 3D printer is uh, Shapeways. I think Shapeways still is in a perfect niche for a majority of us. I know I know Terry's clinic was particularly inspiring, but for me, the, the, obviously the downside with Shapeways is the wait time and the wait time and the wait time. Uh, well, but, yeah, sorry, well, it mate. Depends on, well, it depends on the time of the year. If you're, if you're going to order something, let's say uh, – Mid November or end of November, yeah, you're you could be looking at a uh, a four to six week lead time. Mm. But if you're doing something in the middle of the summer, you send it off a week to two weeks isn't too bad. Mm. Okay, I think I did mixed media prints, which may be slower because they have to bring them together. I'm not sure how it worked out, but I'm seeing about three to four weeks for the stuff that I'm printing which is kind of a strange experience for me because, I don't know, I mean, nothing seems to do that <laughs> these days. So, yeah, it's wonderful to send them out and then, you know, learn a bunch of stuff and then kind of have three or four of these parcels in, uh, you know, slowly arriving as you can see yourself improving in the various techniques. Mike, it is yeah. always a pleasure catching up with you, and, and now you're a, a man of power and prestige within your yeah. local... Uh, I mean, honestly, I spent uh, a day with Ron Kleist. We did talk about uh, the rinse, the family rinse. I'm not sure what's happening. When was the last time that you saw any of the rinse? It would have been probably last month I was up by their house for a uh, uh, slide program of uh, looking at uh, old train pictures and stuff like that. Wonderful. Um, well, so, yeah, they're all, doing, on, yeah. they're all doing good in that. So. Please pass on my regards. They certainly asked after folk. And, yep. uh, you yeah, know, that'd be wonderful. No, I think the conclusion that, uh, Ron Klaas and I came to was that there are certain people that have certain temperaments that work very well with regards to dealing with, let's just say bureaucratic nonsense. And you are one of those people that clearly has just an amazing temperament and more power to you with regards to this stuff. I look forward to talking to you in both a professional and personal nature in the future, Mike Slater. Thank you very much for calling in today. Oh, not a prime any time, Tom. I'd like to introduce a gentleman who got me recently to travel across the country. This 
may seem like quite an interesting thing to do, but about two and a bit years ago, Jim Walsh called into Model Rail Radio and he dared me, yes, he's putting up photographic evidence currently, he dared me to come to the regional and give a clinic associated with podcasting. It was a real pleasure to have the opportunity to meet you, Jim, and your extended crew. I think the Mawa, New Jersey area is just so colourful. It borders so many different areas of interest. It was wonderful to come to have the opportunity to talk at the regional. Thank you very much for inviting me. In terms of the model railroading hobby, though, now that the regional is over, you have copious quantities of time. What is going on with your model railroading hobby now, Jim? Well, before before the um, clinic, I mean, before the convention, I was working on two railroads, and I'll still be working on them. There, there was um, one of them is 30 by 60. Mm. It's a, a Delaware, Lackawanna, and Western Erie, Lackawanna. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I got on the crew was I found out we were going to put in a nearly scale size model of the pollen skill viaduct. So that was an attractive project for me. So we, we started putting in the, the arches, but we, haven't, we hadn't really completed it, but we got most of the arch templates up for the open house. Mm. But um, I'll probably still continue on that work, work crew. And the other one is – uh, Mark Moritz has one, and his is called the North Jersey Mineral Railroad. It's about 40 by 12 foot. Interesting. And, yeah, and he's got, like, all the local areas represented. His is the 1930s. Gosh. 1910 to ni- 1910, 1920. It was funny to go to his open house and see trains running because <laughs> we go work there. We, there's no time for trains running. Oh, that's oh, So he, he had a couple of camelbacks double-headed pulling a freight train. It was interesting. Neither one of those have a lot of scenery, but that's that's the next thing. But all the tracks down, and both of them are trying to have what's what's really on the, on the lines to some extent, and um, they're pretty interesting. Jersey uh, in minerals fact, of the nineteen teens to nineteen thirties. What kind of industries are on this layout? They had a, a furnace in Wharton. I think he might be re- representing that. I know one one um, building he's definitely putting in is is a freight house in Dover. It still exists. Mm. Uh, they went down and measured it not too long ago, and he has he has a spot for mine because he also has narrow gauge, which was in of the course. area. So of course, he's running narrow gauge up to a mine. And he's got a transfer between the narrow gauge and the standard gauge. And there's a lot. I keep seeing his vision as we go each time we start to break into another section. And in in his other on the other side of the wall, it's in two rooms. And in one of them is a, a fairly large helix. Mm. So it the both layouts are quite interesting. I don't expect you got to either one of them because they were – I know Joe's was open on Sunday and Mark's was open on Saturday. I went over to help Mark because you can't really talk to your visitors and run your trains because trains <laughs> have a habit of demanding your attention. Certainly, certainly. Well, yeah, on Saturday I was at Craig Biscay's, which was just right. amazing. I mean, to go to Dave Ramos's and Craig Biscay's layouts, these are two seminal layouts in at least the podcasting fraternity but certainly 
I was really, really moved with both of their lads. Unfortunately, I was terribly jet-lagged on Dave Ramos's lad and just kind of stunned to be there. Uh, but with Craig's lad, he let me run trains. So I was actually debugging for people that were going to come over, and I helped him tidy up, and we had a long conversation. There's an element on his lad which I never really understood, and this is associated with what I would call a steamship, basically. Like a, on the... Oh, right, down... The- Exactly. Down on, yeah, the dock where he has the ship there. Yeah. Now, it's this beautiful, is though. just so smart. You know, you have what I would assume would, I associate it with the south, the southern, you know, rivers in, you know, the Mississippi and these kind of things. But this was a means of, like, avoiding some, there was some political rail thing, which meant they couldn't actually move trains between areas. So they put them on a steamship to move them up. The Hudson. I was just absolutely stunned by uh, that. And yeah, no, to have the opportunity to have an extended... I mean, I talk to Craig periodically in podcast form, but I, we must have spent a couple of hours just chatting. And then Michelle turned up and uh, and met Craig's wife. And it was just wonderful. It was a wonderful morning. So yeah, that was what I was doing on Saturday. On Sunday, I promised Michelle that we'd go into um, New York. Uh, so that was also a, an amazing day. But yes, unfortunately... My ability to attend louts. I mean, I, I attended a few with Ron Kleiss, and obviously seeing the two other louts I wanted to see uh, as well. But yeah, I didn't get to as many louts. Mind you, I was at the O scale. I went to so many louts um, that I was kind of overwhelmed by what O scale means. Now I've seen that uh, up close and personal. But look, in terms of your model wire writing, you describe two louts. Are you are you doing anything in your in your own space with regards to a layout? Well, um, unfortunately, this morning. We had the funeral of one of our one of our NMRA members, um, Jim Rislow. He he passed away this week, and um, I inherited some of his shelves for his upper level. Hmm. And he kind of told he, when he was asking me if if I wanted them, he said he pointed out to an area in my house where I currently have a computer and some other things in the room, and he said, "I think that you could run you could run around the walls with this," and so. Um, Very cool. I'm going, going to follow on his suggestion, and I'm putting it up. I'm going to put the the shelves that he started for his layout for his upper level. I'm putting them in there, and I'll be. I'm thinking of because my over my my plan for a someday HO railroad is built around. If you're familiar with the North Jersey coast, runs down over mm-hmm. the Raritan River, and you cross the river on on a, there's a swing bridge, mm-hmm. and on the north side is uh, Perth Amboy, on the south side is South Amboy, and I always have this vision of entering a layout room, and all you see is the bridge going across the river and the whole Raritan Bay in the background mm. as, a, as a beautiful like mural, mm. and then have the layout on either side of those. And when I got this, this set of shelves to build a layout, I thought, how would I work that into the scheme I was thinking of? And then I recalled... They're coming out of South Amboy is a connection to the Raritan River Railroad. Mm. So I thought maybe I'll build that around three walls shelves to kind of work in a Raritan River connection, that that railroad, because it was a branch line, a small railroad. And then um, that's how it'll work in if eventually when I have another location where I can have more railroad whenever I move and uh, – and in the meantime, I'll be build, building modules that will definitely move. Hmm. So, and on the side, I'm also <laughs> building my N scale layout. Very good. 
Very good. The inherited layout is an important part of this hobby. And I think it's interesting, certainly when I'm in South Australia, a number of the various bits of people's layouts have been inherited from other folk. And I think, I mean, obviously we've had a Mike Slater. He has had a number of inherited layouts that has not only passed through his hands, but also, you know, friends of his. So I think it's an important part of the hobby. And, uh, well, my condolences associated with your loss, but also it sounds like an amazing thing that you're able to, to take on this gentleman's layout. Thank you. I'm gone, yes. Well, Jim, it was a pleasure meeting you. We met in the silent auction room. I suspect it might have been the silent auction room. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You were looking at the cups. You were, you were, you were looking at the cups, and I kind of thought I, I, I thought it was you, and then I went over him. <laughs> uh, yes, look, believe me. I mean, yes, it was definitely me. It was a pleasure to meet you in that circumstance, because I think certainly I met a number of really interesting people through my travels to the East Coast with the past two trips. But I think it reinstilled the view that I need to do this as much as possible and get out to uh, these regionals and do my rap associated with podcasting and just get people inspired. Because actually, some serious feedback. I have received uh, three serious emails, maybe a couple of others, from folks that attended my clinic who are actually going to start recording. Uh, and for the gentleman that contacted me, um, please don't, uh, you know, don't just leave it as an email. If you need additional stuff, get in contact more. Uh, I'm more than happy to work through technical issues and other things. So, I mean, if I can get three people recording podcasts at every one of those clinics, I think they're worthwhile. So thank you very much for inviting me to your regional. And it was wonderful to meet you on location. Yes, thanks for coming. And, and I hope your overall experience was better than your reception. <laughs> My view is... If you're not interrogated as some kind of alien creature when you enter a circumstance, you're not really a migrant. So I'm I'm used to these kind of things, and maybe I played a little bit into it as well. But yes, it was the the whole serial number, and then looking up. It was a the, it yes. was a bit of an oversight, I think. <laughs> I, th- I think it was, we we have to watch for that type of oversight, you know. Welcoming so. is an important part of uh, the NMRA, and I think. Um, Certainly a number of individuals, and it's well talked about, um, you know, it's always interesting, but onwards and upwards, Jim, onwards and upwards. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, for calling in today, and um, you know how these things go. If there's anything you want to jump in on, please feel free to. Thank you for calling in today, Jim. Thank you. like to welcome back on Mike Devil. Mike, when we last spoke, you made the case for folks with medium to larger size layouts getting laser printers associated with structures. And I've just seen Ron Kleiser set up his laser printer in his uh, in his home. So I'm starting to get the sense that this whole idea associated with folks getting laser printers is really cottoning on in the hobby. And you are a trailblazer with regards to this. What have you been doing recently with regards to your lab? Well, I just about got the uh, Colorado Saddle Company built, um, which this is a model that's probably, well, let's say it's 13 inches by 6 inches mm. by maybe 10 inches tall. Okay. Um, and I, I built the entire thing from MDF and uh, basswood, and it's turning out fantastic. It, it certainly, you know, cost-wise, if you remove the cost of the laser, 
um, cost wise, building the building cost me maybe 15, 20 bucks and mm. a lot of time. But, um, really, if you're building a large layout, it's a very practical method of, of building large buildings for a very inexpensive effort and, and, and really just nothing more than just learning that how to do it and, and, and doing different things. And so, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. Matter of fact, I was listening to you and Mike Slater talk about uh, the uh, 3D printers and I've already got my eye on one. Uh, but unlike them, I am going to go probably go to the resin goo just mm. because the quality is so much nicer. Oh, yeah. When you're kind of sitting there looking at stuff going, well, I could buy automotives. I mean, taking a look at building an auto, uh, buying automotives for the layout, you know, it cost me a fortune. Oh, yeah. Uh, but to uh, actually cast them in resin, there's fantastic um, files already out there that you could just simply start printing. So, yeah, I've kind of been looking at that, dabbling a bit in that and experimenting with some of that stuff. So, yeah, but the laser is turning out to be fantastic. I posted, I think, uh, it's been a couple days. I think I'm going to say back to a uh, week or so, I posted on the uh, Colorado uh, Front Range Railroad uh, Facebook page. I posted a, a couple photos of the the model as it's coming along. I've got left just to actually put the glass in and detail the roofing stuff, and it's ready to go on the layout. So mm. It's taken some time, but that has more to do with work than than me modeling. So, oh, man. <laughs> let's talk about this though, because I mean, certainly one of the joys that I had with Ron Kleiss was, I mean, look, New Jersey is so iconographic. I'm a fan of The Sopranos to start off with. I just need to put that out there. But the structures <laughs> in New Jersey are so kooky in a very particular fashion. We were sitting opposite. We were at some Philly cheesesteak place and we were looking opposite and there was a Chinese restaurant that was just classic kind of Chinese additions to some regular style structure. But Ron <laughs> is, is in the habit of taking photographs and if you can't take them, getting photographs from others associated with these, you know, kooky structures. For your particular layout, I mean, obviously very particular time, very particular area, where do you get inspiration from for your structures? Well, a couple different things. Uh, obviously, using photographs from, I'll see, well, for instance, like where I'm working on here in Denver, so I'm working in the uh, Union Station area. I am, you will find me just kind of trolling through every historical library's photographs of everything I can possibly find. In fact, uh, the uh, Longmont the library had a photo collection of about 7,000 photos, and I've gone through every single one of them uh, just looking to see if I could catch uh, a glimpse of a building or something that I'm looking for in particular, time frame related or, or you know, historically related. Um, this process of doing the uh, Colorado Saddle Company, I actually stumbled across a couple different photos. I found some in the historical library, but... I also found some folks that had done, they were professional photographers and they have taken photographs of, of these portions of these buildings or some portion of downtown in which I can see the building in the background. Mm. So that, that helps me to get the design idea or, you know, at least start drawing the process. 
uh, for the houses and things like that, I, I think I've shared them. In fact, uh, somebody commented on the other day, and I, it's absolutely just a treasure trove of, of things to look at, and that's the Sears archives. Mm. Uh, you want to talk about houses. They literally have a page that they would sell out of the Sears magazine that you would buy mm. the house, and it has listed the floor plan, the sizes of the rooms, the actual you know, everything that you need to actually draw these things out. Mm. And then it's got an art, uh, an artist rendition of what the outside of the building looks like. Mm. And it's absolutely incredibly valuable, valuable stuff to find. That is but fascinating. Most, I mean, I'm, it, I'm well aware that Sears sold kit homes, but yeah. how, how widespread were they? I mean, could they be sent coast to coast or were they only in particular areas or they would basically pack them up into a rail car mm. and ship them. Wow. So wherever there's a railroad and somebody wanted to buy, and I've had people contact me just were blown away. Once they started looking through that archive, they were like, that's a Sears home. Mm. That's a Sears home. That's a Sears home. I was trying to think, I think it was Ralph Renzetti or somebody like that contacted me. They said they drove around one day down in um, the Montreal area mm. and they found six or seven. Oh, I know who I was talking to. I was talking to uh, Tim Wars over at oh, yeah. um, it, they they had sent me an email saying, Mike, we're blown away at how many of the Sears house. And once you start looking through that archive, you can pick them out. They're Amazing. all over the place. Amazing. Well, and they. They probably have sitting in that archive 150 or more homes in there. That's amazing. Just amazing. So I'm assuming most of this information is available online. You don't need a physical Sears catalog in order to get these details. No. If you just uh, Google uh, Sears archive, it'll pop up. And then uh, in that archive, you look in there, there's uh, it says homes or houses or something like that. And you just click on that and it'll start, it'll, it breaks them out by year. So from like, 1845 to, to, you know, I think they stopped doing them in 1925 or 1930 or something like that. So there is just literally all these, these homes and it's easy. They're absolutely the best first project for doing uh, laser work with a laser. And you can do it with any size laser because, you know, most houses are not that big. Yeah. That is really fascinating, Mike Teverell. Always a wealth of wisdom. Ron Kleiss wanted to pick your brains with regards to a few things. Ron, do you have audio? Well, I do. I think it was actually Clark wanted to, so maybe we can oh, hop on. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it said Ron Kleiss. Well, that's okay. I'll give credit to Ron for at least helping me with brickwork. <laughs> I'm still hammering out that thing. Every little brick, every little stone, it depends on what style. Uh, the way you adjust it into the computer so that the laser can read it and understand it is a, an interesting exercise. It is, and uh, that's why I've, I've resorted to, I just grab some MDF and I start start hammering away at it going, okay, well, that's not bad, but I think I can do better. Yeah, there's a couple settings depending on how far apart the lines and the, and the raster lines and everything that are. Um, the way you print it, the clarity, and you can actually speed it up a little bit more. Not sure if you've discovered a lot of that, but I'm oh, probably yeah. discovering it. It's it's time-consuming, though. It is, and but it's... It's a hobby. You just sit down and start, okay, try this. I know my wife is like, why are you walking back and forth from the office to the laser every five minutes? <laughs> you got to make sure that the house isn't burning down. That's why. <laughs> I keep trying a different setting. I'm like, no, nah, that's not going to work. Try another one. <laughs> 
So, Clark Cooning, my apologies. Ron was just clearly on the brain. Clark Cooning, do you have audio? I have audio. Clark. How are you, Mike? Not too bad. What's up, bud? Hey, listen, I, well, I was, I don't know if you were on the show when Tom had me on. Um, I got, I ran into a little problem today. Um, are you using PSX um, circuit breakers on your layout? I'm using, um, they're the relays from, uh, oh, what's the, not NCE, the other one, Digitrax. Oh, okay, okay, all right, okay. But, yeah, no, I, I, matter of fact, someone the other day asked me, said, well, what, what are you using for DCC? And I said, it's easier to tell you what I'm not using. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I was, I was saying to these guys uh, earlier, I, we we sort of changed our circuit breakers, and I went with the uh, the DCC specialist, the uh, oh yes PSX, but they're so fast in detecting a short. And I was using frog juicers for mm-hmm. the first loop. Mm-hmm. And it detects the it detects because the frog juicer is a little slow, so it's detecting the short which is really a false short because it's just putting it into the right uh, uh, yeah, polarity. Right, right polarity. Yeah, right uh, That's so, why I went to the relay ones to avoid that. Yeah. Because um, anyway, so in the in the instructions I've been kind of perusing, you can go in and uh, set the CV value so that there's a little bit more of a delay. Mm-hmm. You know, and it will recognize that it's not a, it's not not a, true, a short. true short. It's a false short, yeah. So, but I wasn't sure if you were using that because I was going to, the question I was going to ask, and I don't know if anybody out there is actually using them. In their instructions at one point, they, they say use a jumper to program it. But I'm wondering if you disconnect it from the layout and just, and just program it directly, or do you just keep it connected to the layout? My first thought is always, Disconnected just because I don't want to have any issues with programming. Yeah, yeah, and just talk to the talk to it as a like a decoder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. that's that that was my feeling too because I'm like you, I like to <laughs> isolate it. Mm-hmm. Right. I have more than once did some programming and realized, oh no, there's multiple <laughs> locomotives on the layout. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And this is like basically you treat it as an accessory decoder, so yep, you don't yep. you don't want to be doing that. No. Nope. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, no problem, Clark. Me return to your regular programming. Very good. Thanks, well, Tom. Tom. Tom, that brings up something else I've been working on. Okay. Um, I uh, have been working on my uh, layout with doing some new electronics, and I started a video called Sensors. Hmm. And I was working through it, and I, lo and behold, I ran into a little bit of a problem. And so I called my good friend Chris Atkins up and said, mm. okay, what did I miss? And Chris immediately, you know, being an electrical engineer, showing him my diary, he says, well, Mike, you did this. And I went, oh, that's right. So the voltage is on both sides. So that got me to talking to Jeff Bunza, who is here on the West Coast and who does a lot of Arduino type stuff and a lot of his electronics he uses for basically, you know, somebody wants to build a, a, a train control board and light up an LED. A lot of his electronics will do that. 
Well, I'm taking those same electronics and kind of modifying them. So I've been talking to Jeff back and forth. And one of the things I wanted to do was to use an Arduino to check the, to detect the sensors so I could feed it back to JMRI. Mm. And Jeff, uh, Jeff, I, so I shot him an email and he immediately responded back, Mike, I'll have it designed for you in three days and I'll put it up on train on, um, I'll, I'll have it back to you in a couple of days. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> It's nice to have somebody that, and he literally did. He posted on uh, Model Railroad Hobbyist in the blog there, and he posted this thing up, and it was absolutely fantastic. And I've been kind of working on it in the background, and I'm going to start to finish, pick up my video where I left off. But uh, anyone who's interested in sensors and and learning that kind of stuff and wants to do Arduino stuff. That is uh, what I'll be working on on the next couple videos. So mm. I thought that would be kind of interesting if somebody has an interest in it. Certainly. Well, Clark Kooning seems to have an interest in it currently, so you'll at least tick Clark's box. But no, a lot of people are using this stuff. So, yep, most definitely, Mike Deverell. Thank you very much for calling in. Always a pleasure Thank to chat. like to welcome on a gentleman whose ghost peppers I am currently drying downstairs. Ron Kleiss, it was a real pleasure to meet you on location. I met you previously, but to meet your family, see the garden, all the wonderful things, but also to see your laser and your lab. So thank you very much for uh, for spending a, a day or so with me. It was great to have a chance to catch up once again and also uh, meet the extended Kleiss clan. Always a pleasure. <laughs> but um, in terms of the religion that is the laser in terms of the stuff that you're creating with it. Obviously now you're getting into the wild world of kit manufacture. Maybe you can't give, you know, too many secrets away, but what kind of stuff is going to be coming out in your line in the near future? Well, um, at my mount models, I will be having, I have two kits on my website right now. I'm going to be opening up the website very soon. I should be, it should be wide open by the time you actually have this edited and put out on the podcast. So, uh, oh, oh, if you go to, oh, oh. <laughs> if you, uh, go to www.mymountmodels.com, uh, you can check out the kits that we have. I started out with a couple small kits. I have a, quite a few, uh, larger kits on, on the back burner and they're actually designed in, in the computer and I have to start building some prototypes. So they'll be getting fed into the, uh, into the website for uh, everybody to buy out, hopefully, in the future. I have warehouses, I have dock scenes, I have um, coal towers, everything. I've, I've been getting some ideas from everybody. Clark gave me a couple ideas months back, and uh, you know, talking with Mike with the um, the brick, he saw that I was getting some, figuring out how to, to uh, engrave the brick into wood and, and um, plywoods and, and uh, the MDF. I think the MDF has a real nice look to it. It's a little bit harder to cut if you're trying to build structures, but um, I do have some thin stuff, some 132nd and 116th MDF. It's uh, looking into getting some some textures, possibly. Uh, they are a little time consuming, so you know it's got to be. I got to look at the uh, the laser time to see if it's worth printing it out or not. Um, I'm trying to speed it up, but also keep the clarity as, you know, as quick as possible and as, as clear as possible. But, you know, I, I'm trying to work on those textures because it seems like there's a, a need for it, especially since Mo Monster Model Works. Oh, yeah. Um, he, you know, retired, I guess you would say, from, the, from the industry. Uh, he had some fantastic stuff. So um, hopefully I can fill, fill some of that void. 
I mean, what I found fascinating was the failed prints. The fact that you are testing the boundaries with regards to a wide variety of materials, obviously the various strengths with regards to the laser, and also there's a phenomenon. We were at Dave Ramos's. I was slightly jet-lagged, so you and Dave were doing most of the talking. But Dave pointed out that the cobblestones are a real problem because of the repetition of patterns. Is this something that you thought about with regards to, I mean, have you thought about a cobblestone line? Is that something that interests you? Yep. I have uh, started designing some cobblestone. Um, I'm trying to take some patterns that I find and modify them and you flip them around, mirror them, rotate them and do all that kind of stuff. And um, I would go in with a, a photo editor and also modify some of the brick and the cobblestones themselves to uh, change up some of the looks so you don't see the, the pattern as much. Some of the stuff that you saw laying on my uh, experiment table there, my, sign, my <laughs> science lab, I guess you would say. Um, in the beginning, I was just taking small little um, JPEGs and stuff and just repeating them over and over again just to get the idea of how, to, how it's going to look and everything. And there was very, very noticeable patterns in them. But now that uh, I've had some time to, to modify them, you know, there's some other ones that – they'll be they'll – be, Repetition, I guess you would say, but it'll be far apart. And by the time you cut it up and, and start building your structures and everything, you really won't notice it if you paint it up and everything and weather the buildings. You're not going to notice the, the patterns at all. In terms of your photograph collection, in terms of this growing method, I talked a little bit about it on the podcast already, but what's your philosophy with regards to future structures? I mean, if people have particular structures that they're passionate about? Can they send you photographs? You already have, you mentioned Clark sent you some stuff. What What's the possibilities there associated with, you know, just getting it? I mean, how many photographs do you need in order to create a basic structure? I mean, just to get an inspiration, I would probably need one photo. I was talking with Ralph de Blasi, funny enough, about tax purposes with the business. But, yes. of course, I said, now, now that we got the work part out of the way, what kind of buildings are you interested in for your Lehigh Valley? And he told me about this one structure in uh, Teichler's uh, PA, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. And it was this old mill building that just happened to close down about three years ago, I think. And I look it up. And I, the Google Street views, unfortunately, are just like a half a block away. Hmm. But uh, I threw it out. I threw the idea out to uh, some people on the Anthracite Facebook page and, and Lehigh Valley page and stuff. And people came back to me and said, "Oh, here's some pictures. Here's some pictures." This one guy is like, "I live five minutes away. I'll get you some photos, you know, later this week." So he ended up he ended up walking around about three quarters of the structure and sent me all kinds of pictures. Uh, if I build it true to scale, this thing would be gigantic. It would hmm. be two and a half by three foot or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I just the inspiration. I could I would have to compress it down. And uh, and work with it that way. I've had other um, inspiration from other people. They, they would send some ideas or talk to me, and they say, "Well, check this building out." Or just driving around, I purposely would get lost sometimes, and I see some funny structure, and I pull off to the side of the road and uh, take a quick picture, and you know, to make notes and check it out. Hopefully, on on Google Street Views later to uh, to get an idea, and you know, I'll take more detailed pictures when I have a little bit more time. Um, yeah, it's 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 neat getting the ideas. Some of the, some of the uh, ideas have come from my son's video games. Mm. Um, I think I mentioned this in the past, where you know he's sitting there playing a a video game, and I see some of the the structures and towns that there he's running through and you know annihilating all these enemies and stuff. And I'm like, hold on, stop! I know you're killing this guy, but 
let me look at this building real quick. Let me get a let me get an idea of a picture real quick. And I, they have warehouses and all kinds of structures and stuff. And that's some pretty neat, neat inspiration for at least the the basic shape of a, a building. You can find inspiration in tons of places. There's a there's the next kit that I'm coming out with. One of my larger kits is a building that's uh, right down the street from my house. I think we actually passed it when I was bringing it to my house. Actually, interesting. Yeah, we passed it on the way to um, the railroad station. Remember the rail station a couple mm-hmm. blocks away? Yeah, it's about halfway there. It was on the left side. I forgot to point it out to you, but that's that's a, a uh, plumbing supply that I'm designing now. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, there were so many wonderful vignettes on the day. We we ended up at your local hobbies shop as well, like uh, wargaming hobbies. I mean, there were so many wonderful vignettes associated with that day. It's going to certainly stick in my mind for... Uh, the next time a, a regional NMRA group uh, invites me out to uh, give a talk, I'll, I'll need to find the local Ron Kleist to have a similar experience. But thank you very much once again, Ron. I'm interested in seeing what happens to the ghost peppers here. I've, so am I. I, I have a whole plant full of them. <laughs> I can send out a bunch of them if anybody needs some. But Tom took some and he's going to be drying them. I'm, I'm oh curious to goodness. see how they grow in California. Yes, I've, I've decided maybe through your wife's influence, maybe through my wife's influence, to give my wife the garden for the foreseeable future with the view that I will just have a couple of small beds. I've disassembled my greenhouse today. I've decided that the garden can be hers. The back building can be hers as well. I need to start giving her ample space to do her creative visions. So yes, the garden is no longer my domain. I will have a couple of, I'm maintaining my tea plants and various other things in pots um, and the garlic is coming up gangbusters. But next year I think I'll have a few beds and what I'm going to do, I think the trick is the soil because that's the only way I can, the only major distinction, I mean mine get you know, eight hours of sun a day solid sun but yeah, the soil just must be particularly good in your path. I should have put a couple of shovelfuls in your pocket. <laughs> you flew it back in the airplane or something. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. It's probably the fish. I mean, I think yes. the fish might be the actual uh, source of your nutritional uh, virtue in the gun. Well, that is, that is true. When I clean out the the fish pond filter, I do put the um, the vegetation that's breaking down and stuff in mm. there, and I'll spread it throughout there and, and mix it into the soil. It's mm. great. Fish emulsion, basically. Yep. Except without the fish in it. <laughs> yeah, that clearly is the trick. Ron, a pleasure hanging out with you. Pleasure meeting the family. In terms of your layout, let's talk a little bit about your layout. The problem that most new kit manufacturers have in the hobby, as I understand it, also folks that work in train stores and a variety of other things, is that their layout becomes a kind of third-class citizen in their life. Yeah. What are you going it, to do to continue the love with regards to your layout? Yeah, it's a bit dormant. My my uh, main layout and also the modular one have been stagnant for probably ten months now. Mm. Uh, nine ten months. I've been working on you know research, and now with uh, the job, it takes up a long time. But um, once I have the uh, the business really established and it's going, I will take you know a few hours a, w- a week, just like everybody else does, uh, and set aside time to actually use a laser for my own personal needs and, you know, cut out structures and, and, uh, work on scenery. I am getting a little scenery fix with, with the, uh, the company now building the dioramas and the display dioramas. I'm really enjoying that because that's an itch that just never goes away for me. Building the structures and scenery, I, I absolutely love. So like I said, once it's going and I find a little breathing room, 
uh, de- I definitely got to turn my attention to at least a few hours a week on the layout because you know, I have this beautiful, you saw the layout, you walk mm-hmm. in, you see this really nice trestle scene, and then the rest is plywood. Even my kids, my daughter especially, is like, you know, are you ever going to work on scenery again? And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll eventually do that. You know, I'm busy right now, but you know, she's looking forward to slapping some plaster on mm-hmm. and making making more trees. And so it'll it'll happen, just not sure when. Very good. Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to when I get done editing this podcast, having uh, your website up and ready to run. And I'm looking forward to seeing the structures when I'm done editing the podcast. So thank you very much, Ron Kleiss, for uh, for calling in today and sharing your introduction into becoming a kit manufacturer. I was privileged to see a couple of test print boxes and various other things. So, yeah, onwards and upwards, Ron. Onwards and upwards. Um, I'm hoping. It's a uh, a busy retirement, maybe. <laughs> very good. Very good. I'll talk to you soon, Rob. Thank you for calling in. Take care. Thanks, Tom. See you guys. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman. I can't recall if I actually detailed our meeting since you last called in, whether you've called in since we met or anyway. I had the Wonderful opportunity to meet Jason Rice as he and his crew came through Northern California. We didn't have lunch at Netflix, but we did, I think, have a cool drink or at least something on location at Netflix. Thank you very much for stopping by. I know it was a bit out of the way for your day, but, yeah, I've been kicking myself associated with uh, missing you in West Des Moines. Uh, so it was wonderful to have the chance to meet and meet your crew. In terms of the model railroading hobby, you mentioned uh, some political, you mentioned some ebbs and flows, getting out of a local club, this kind of stuff. What are you doing in your model railroading hobby currently? Um, right now, uh, helping my son, uh, teaching him the valuable lesson of work gets rewards. And so he's been learning how to mow the lawn. And in return, he got himself his first uh, brass model. He got wow. a brass, tr- brass trolley that he had seen at the hobby shop on the uh, resale table. And uh, so he had to mow the lawn several times to earn that. And now we've turned it into a little bit bigger of a project as teaching him how to put in a decoder and then learning how to remodel it. We just ordered a Stanton drive for him today. So the models, uh, uh, as far as my life goes, are a little quieter um, as I get into more of the lives of my children and getting them into activities and things as they've gotten older. Um, but uh, it's uh, these little fun things that keep it going for me. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, in terms of in terms of a parent that has a level of knowledge that is pretty well regarded in the hobby, I mean, you have a background of pulling apart a wide variety of brass locomotives, making them work and putting in decoders and new motors and all this other kind of stuff. Your son must have seen that earlier. He must have a sense of your own abilities in this area. Sure. Um, you know, my model table is open for them to kind of mess around in and around. Uh, I always ask that they ask if they want to play with it uh, for dad's help, of course, because soldering irons can do some damage. But mm. uh, they're always open to learn stuff. Uh, a couple of years ago, my daughter had a diorama that she had to make for school. So we went down that time to our training club and between myself, her and a bunch of other good gentlemen, we put together a very nice uh, diorama on the transcontinental railroad. Wonderful. So yeah, it's a, it's a 
easy way um, to get their interest into the different aspects of it. She really liked doing the, the scenery that we put together and getting it painted and uh, looking at how quickly uh, it can come together, especially when you have good, knowledgeable folks around you to help. Certainly, certainly. The translation of mowing lawns into something productive is certainly a large part of my life as well. So it's interesting that lawn mowing phase associated with, I mean, in Australia, it was also connected with beer drinking. I don't necessarily think that needs to be promoted in this country. But um, yeah, it is interesting, the work effort versus, you learn the value of a hard day's work, right, through mowing lawns. So interesting, interesting. It's yeah, a- I mean, that was that was one of the ways that I, I grew up was, you know, hey, it was before, you know, you can turn 14 and go get a job. It's actually one of the first ways you can go um, and, you know, define yourself as, like you said, you know, gaining gaining something for your efforts. And that's a good worth ethic uh, that I want to reinforce with my kids. Certainly, certainly. So in terms of your interest in the hobby, I mean, obviously having your son's interest is is an important way that you can represent the hobby is are you doing anything else or are you just enjoying that aspect currently? Um, mostly that aspect. I've bought a couple of brass models this year. Uh, like you noted, I came out earlier this year. We went uh, a group of guys and I went out uh, for the West side uh, reunion um, and did a huge tour of central California um, of all the narrow gauge uh, trains, a lot of the West side, um, locomotives and other areas that uh, we got to go see. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not as much model building and model making related as it is maybe doing, uh, just some more select items throughout the year. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you'd called in since your visit, but since I'm in that many shows, <laughs> you probably didn't, you know, it was wonderful to see you on location. It was wonderful to meet your crew as well and get a sense of, uh, you know, the, the camaraderie that clearly the hobby represents for you and is represented, obviously, in your friends as well. So thank you very much for stopping by, and thank you also for calling in today and giving an update, because I think the ability to pass the hobby on to others is an important one. I mean, certainly I I met uh, Ron's children as well, uh, Rachel in particular, and talked about her various hobby interests. So no, it is a wonderful thing to pass on the hobby to the next generation. So thank you for your efforts there, and thank you very much for calling in today. No problem, Tom. Thanks for letting me in. I'd like to welcome a gentleman who I'm yet to meet, but no doubt I will meet in the foreseeable future, Seth Gartner. Thank you for calling into Model Rail Radio today. I had the opportunity of seeing some of the layouts that Jim Gifford and Roz toured in the New Jersey area. And I know you actually did the reverse hostage exchange. You went and met at least Jim Gifford, I think, in South Australia. Yes. In terms of the model railroading hobby, what's been going on with you recently? Well, I've just been working on some of the different unfinished areas of my layout. Mm. Just trying to find some time to get a few more tipples and scenery and connect the two finished areas just to give a better presentation upon entering into the layout room. It's in the basement. And when you walk down the stairs, I think it was a desire to have a little bit more finished appearance than naked bench work with nothing very impressive to look at. I had a sense of your layout very much associated with the beautiful photographs that you posted. But I think 
you very honestly took larger form photos of the layout just to illustrate how much of it wasn't finished. In terms of filling in the gaps, what techniques, what things are you doing currently to fill the gaps? Years ago, I decided to go with styrofoam, which I don't know that uh, styrofoam on a wood frame. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would suggest that it hasn't turned out to be quite as nice as what I was hoping it would be. I think my modeling tends to be one of addition rather than subtraction, and foam allows for very easy subtraction, but I tend to find myself using it just as a base and then adding cardboard strips and tape and uh, use some uh, sculpt mold over top of that so I can build up for what I need. But it also is very easy to get rid of that if you need to go below grade. So styrofoam mm-hmm. does have some advantage. But I've had shrinkage of my styrofoam. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, I started the layout probably uh, 17 years ago, 15, 17 years ago. And in a time frame, there are a few more gaps than I think I recalled when I built the layout. I think it's a common problem with regards to styrofoam that the, it, it loses gas, right? So if you put in you know, water and various other things, you'll have problems with the styrofoam shrinking, as you say. And yep. I yep. think it's certainly a time in the hobby. I mean, I'm, uh, did you start your layout about 10 years ago? In that I was kind of more like 15. 15? Okay, so you're, you're well into styrofoam <laughs> being the preferred, uh, preferred choice. But I think how much of a deficiency are you actually finding with the styrofoam? You're not at the point where you're going to rip out large sections of styrofoam and replace it with some other material, are you? No, it's mostly the shrinkage is noted where I have yet to put ballast down or any scenery. Hmm. Thankfully, once you get the ballast in, I think it locks it in pretty tight. It's the areas where it's just track on cork that hmm. has shown some movement of the track and just a little minor misalignment of the track. So. Interesting. Interesting. Get it ballasted, I guess, would be the best advice I could give you. Certainly. Certainly. But in terms of, I mean, are you applying a lot of static grass? What are you, what are you doing currently to, to make headway? Well, I'll take a scene and I'll, I'll go from big, just latex paint over the styrofoam and I'll take a six or eight somewhat manageable area and I'll take it up through the, the the, the basic hard shell scenery, the ground forms, carving rock, whatever I need to, to to get that, paint it with latex, and I add first layer of ground foam, and then on top of that, I will area, different areas will have the static grasses, hmm. um, some a bit more ground foam, the coarser ground foam. Interesting. Interesting. Well, and I'm- trees. But trees are always a, I need to make more, and I am slow to get that done. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to photo updates on the Facebook page. That seems to be a a given in these kind of circumstances. And yeah, it is an interesting problem. I think you are not alone associated with having areas of the layout which are highly photographable and then sections that basically just need a bit of work. And it's wonderful that you're putting the attention to these sections. And I'm looking forward to seeing update photos. In terms of your part of the world, yes. for, I mean, it's not a... Canadian winter, but in terms of the winter months, are there any local shows or anything like that that you're going to be getting to? I'm hoping to go down to Cocoa Beach this winter. It's not my area. I guess Mm -hmm. I will travel out of my area to that. Um, We don't have a tremendous number of shows that come through North Carolina. Hmm. Our modeling density is not great. Uh, Well, there'll be a couple throughout the year, but I don't recall any on the calendar for the winter months. We did have another gentleman from North Carolina that called in a while back, and he did have quite a, a in terms of a local club, 
I think he was doing, they were doing some serious shows though. So I got the sense from him, he might be, he might be further north than you are. Um, but yeah, I did get the sense that at least in his area and, you know, these were kind of church hall shows. These weren't, you know, regionals or anything like that. Was that Ken Anderson? No, 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 no. It wasn't Ken Anderson. It was another gentleman. Um, but yeah, obviously the sipping and switching is a different thing. Sorry, I cut you off. That's fine. And we had the Callback World's Greatest Hobby show came through last year. So that was a fairly large show. Hmm. Certainly large for our area. Certainly. Certainly. Well, Seth, you've given the name for the show perfectly. It's also a nice Seinfeld reference. So I'm going to steal that from you and refer to it in the show. And uh, thank you very much for calling in. Great to get an update from you and looking forward to seeing the photographs. Very good. Nice to have you back doing the show again. Thank you. So, as Seth noted, it has been an inordinate length of time since I last recorded a show. This is the obligatory... I don't even know whether I should apologise. We now have electrical in our house. I did joke with Martin McGurk that electrical, getting electrical into the house was going to be a substantial thing, was at the time, in theory, a financial thing more than a time thing, but it turned into a time thing as well. And then I went to two shows on the East Coast and met a wide variety of folks. Look, Stephen Vaughan, the Stephen Vaughans, let's just say the Stephen Vaughans, both of them, are amazing folks to meet. Met a wide variety of folks. I mean, look, Dave Barraza, I see... Periodically on the West Coast, I see periodically on the East Coast. But you're just caught up with a, a variety of folk. Met Kelly Zan for the first time. Uh, I mean, she called in and then met her and met her crew. One of the members of her crew was absolutely fascinating. He was a retired public defender. Just an amazing gentleman. I One of the things I love about Model Rail Radio, and in particular doing Model Rail Radio get-togethers, is trains come up in conversation, but you get to meet some amazing, fascinating people. I've already done a shout-out to Jim Gore, Terry Terrence, these kind of folk. Jim Lincoln, of always, always a pleasure. I met a wide variety of folk in my travels. So the month of going to shows is a month I can take off. The three months associated with electricity, brutal, let's just say that. But yes, more model rail radios coming do not consider that this thing has pod faded, which is the term. I was at Bernie Kapinski's layout, and Bernie said to me, are you still doing a podcast? I smiled and said, yeah. So Model Rail Radio for me is so much more than just the trains. It's the people. And that's certainly something that's been reinforced with regards to going to the two shows that I went to. I think I can do a debrief next time. Terry calls in, associate with the O-Scale National, maybe Jim Gore. There was a lot to see and do there, and certainly it's redefined my thoughts associated with O-Scale and the hobby, which I think was probably Terry's view. Maybe not as warts and all as I actually experienced it, but yeah, just always a pleasure to spend time with uh, with Terry Terrence. And the stuff that he's doing with 3D printing now is pretty visionary stuff, so looking forward to the opportunity to chat with Terry sometime in the future. And Jim Gore has picked up Clark Kooning's Modeling with the Masters stuff, I said to Jim, I didn't realize he was that kind of guy. You know, this is slightly sadomasochistic in terms of uh, what it is. But clearly, probably one of the most important outreach things the NMRA does in terms of just conveying highly skilled folks, conveying their craft onto others. 
So, folks who met me on the East Coast, thank you very much for putting up with me. Mulroy Radio is back on the air, folks. So thanks very much to all the folks for participating today. Thanks to the folks for listening in. Good afternoon. Maybe even good evening. Good evening, Tom. Good evening, Tom. Good evening. Good evening. See you later. (laughs) Good riddance.